Welcome once again to all of you that have logged on to our service. I'm going to be sharing from the book of Haggai, um, but I want to make a, just a few follow-up comments from my message last week where I preached on the prophetic significance of the coronavirus. Uh, if you heard my message or if you had not, have not heard my message, I encourage you to go online at fivestoneschurch.org. It'll give you the link to the YouTube channel. Um, but if you heard my message, you know that I made a, a strong case that God has released uh, the COVID virus to protect his animals in keeping with the covenant that God made with Noah in all creation, as explained in Genesis 6 and 9. At the end of my message, I called upon China and all nations to shut down its wet markets and this is, as this is the source of the outbreak. There's really no reason this global crisis should have occurred. This is a wholly preventable pandemic. Leaders around the world mustn't only fight the fires caused by the virus in terms of medical and economic and social damage. They must also address the root cause and advocate with great permission to get China and every other nation that has wet markets to ban them permanently. Now, interestingly, this past Friday, uh, Dr. Anthony Fossey, he's the renowned immunologist from the States. He first came to fame in the 70s and 80s uh, as he led the... Uh, it led the war against AIDS, and he is the head of the NIH, Allergy and Infectious Disease Division, and he serves as the chief scientist uh, for the coronavirus response in the States. He was interviewed on national TV, and he said some things that very much echoed the themes that came out in my message. And I just want to show you this one-minute clip uh, of him sharing some of his thoughts, because I think it's very encouraging. So we're going to run that right now. This disease started, uh, and which believe we could say this from the wet markets in China. Are you calling for this? Because this is the second major disease that's poisoned the world from this area. Are you calling for the closure of the wet markets that has for sale monkeys and bats and horrible things like that? Well, I have no authority to call for anything, but I can certainly tell you how I feel. I think yep. they should shut down those things right away. I mean, it just, it, it boggles my mind how when we have so many diseases that emanate out of that unusual human-animal interface that we don't just shut it down. I don't know what else has to happen to get us to appreciate that. And I think there are certain countries in which this is very commonplace. I would like to see the rest of the world really lean with a lot of pressure on those countries that have that, because what we're going through right now is a direct result of that. So in this little clip, I, I was very excited to hear uh, Dr. Fossey's response because it echoes the things that we've been sharing here. And I think that there is a growing momentum with regard to advocating for the shutting down of these wet markets. And I have to say on a side note, I love immunologists. Uh, Dr. Fossey is an immunologist, and that was my formal training. And so to hear him share some of these things really just warmed my heart. So let's keep praying that, praying that these wet markets will be abolished. Second thing I want to say, too, with regard to my message is that I had an excellent two-hour conversation with one of my pastor friends in the United States, and he took time to listen to my message three times and offered some very valuable feedback, including this key thought. He said, you know, Rich, you develop the idea of wet markets and the cruelty to animals uh, that's behind it really well, but you didn't address the sin aspect properly. You didn't go deep enough. 
The takeaway can't just be that COVID is about saving animals when there is so much other sin going on in the world. And after listening to him, I agreed. I had addressed the immediate sin of animal cruelty, but I did not properly address the deeper sin that is underlying the COVID crisis, the cause behind the cause or the root underlying the root. In that sense, I left us hanging and it was incomplete. So let me say just a couple things to fill out my message. I believe COVID represents a creation agenda by God that is aimed at correcting systemic sin in every country. One of the things that's so scary about COVID is that it's spread all over the world to over 180 nations. That's 90% of the world population. If COVID was primarily meant to address animal cruelty in China, then why would it spill out beyond the borders of China to touch so many other nations? Is God only trying to address this single issue of animal cruelty across the globe? The answer is no. I believe the deeper answer is God is addressing the systems of sin in nations that give rise to unrighteous systems like wet markets. Wet markets are symptomatic of something deeper that needs to be corrected with force. Wet markets represent social and sin issues God wants to address in every nation. The purpose of something like COVID is indeed to create a crisis because crisis begets reflection. Crisis begets introspection. Crisis forces a gut check. Why are we in this crisis? Did we do something wrong? Or are we just victims of unforeseen circumstances? Do we need to make a course correction? Is there a blind spot that needs to be spoken to? Is there sin in my life? Is there sin in my lifestyle? Is there sin in my country? The trauma of COVID is meant to cause nations to take an inventory. Are there sins in our country that require repentance? The disproportionality of the crisis to our perceived goodness is meant to provoke searching questions. And maybe there is not a disproportionality. And why did God use China to release this virus? Because it's the most populous nation in the world, and they're a sample of what God wants to correct in all nations. No one is exempt. Each nation has its own entrenched and historical sin to account for. I don't know what they are for each country, but God will reveal that to each nation. But for sure, God is after correcting all that is unrighteous and unjust and ungodly and in violation of God's creation principles. In that COVID is a call to arms to answer the big question, why is this happening? May God grant divine light to all leaders of their nations. So with that, let me turn to my message um, that will be principally based from Haggai in continuation of our Minor Prophet series, but with a clear COVID application. And I think that in the timing of God, this message from Haggai could not come at a more opportune time. So let me just commit our time to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in this hour. Despite the stress and despite the duress, Father God, of it, Lord, you're the one able to lift us up and to comfort us. And we know that part of that comfort comes strongly from your word. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would cause our ears to hear and that your word would be manna for us. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of my message is The Birth Pangs Are Getting Stronger, Cooperating with God's End Time Purposes. 
And one of the great benefits of the New Testament is that it helps us to interpret the Old Testament, takes out the guesswork and allows us to have an even more sure step of faith as we worship God. We are living in unprecedented times. This COVID situation, which started in January of this year, is just three months old, but it's rocked the entire world with nearly 200 nations reporting infections or deaths. And of course, each nation is wrestling with their curve-flattening efforts. And yet when we read the Bible, we know that these convulsions were prophesied. In Matthew 24, when Jesus was asked, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So there's a hope for us as a faith-believing community in Jesus Christ that there's going to be another coming of the Lord. That all this pain and sorrow and heartache is going to be redeemed one day and Jesus is going to come and rule and reign. And he's going to bring peace and he's going to bring comfort. And so the disciples, acutely aware of that, that impulse and that pang in their heart said, okay, when is it going to be that you will come back? And so in the verse that's listed there, Jesus answered them and said, see to it that no one misleads you. So there's a great deception that comes before Jesus returns. For many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and will mislead many. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. For these things must take place, but that is not yet the end. So those are the initial signals that help us to start getting our hearts ready. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquake. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Now, in Luke's version, that gospel adds a little extra detail which speaks to our situation. And in verse 11 of Luke 21, it says that there will be great earthquakes and in various places, plagues. So Jesus prophesied this. He knew what was coming and he gave these words to us so that our hearts could be prepared. In light of all that the world has gone through in the last hundred years, two world wars, Countless regional wars, nations coming and going, tsunamis, earthquakes, famines, hurricanes, climate change, ethnic cleansing, despot rulers, displacements leading to immigrant crisis, we can attest that we are indeed experiencing birth pangs. And in light of COVID, I think we can safely say the birth pangs are getting stronger. So what is the purpose of all this? What is the purpose of this disruption, the purpose of pestilence and plagues as we talked about last week? Why does God allow such events to unfold? Well, God uses difficult situations to plow the hearts, to plow the ground of people's hearts so the gospel can go forth and be preached to all nations. Crisis is meant to create a new openness to God, as Jesus said in verse 14 of chapter 24, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So God is orchestrating things for a global harvest, maybe on a scale we could have never imagined. And COVID is part of this prophetic subplot. The ultimate prophetic plot line is that all nations hear about Jesus Christ because as it says in 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires that all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So in this sense, the prophetic purpose of COVID is to continue God's agenda of preparing the ground for global revival. 
Now, the impact of COVID on nations is given to us in Hebrews chapter 12, where the scripture says there, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show with gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service, service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So let's zoom in on this phrase for a moment, shaking of heaven and earth. What does that mean? Earth represents foundations, that which we stand on, our economy, our jobs, our bank accounts, our health, our lifestyle. And heaven represents our achievements, our power, our glory, our dreams, our aspirations, our leaders, our institutions. So why the shaking? Paul tells us right there in the middle of this verse that we read, so that we can receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And that can only come through salvation in Jesus. When God shakes our lives and our countries, it makes us look for a safe place. When I was five years old, I experienced my first earthquake. This is the first time that my dad took me on an international trip, went on a plane from the United States to Taiwan. And Taiwan is in a region of the world where it's very susceptible to earthquakes. And so I was enjoying myself at my grandparents' place, and all of a sudden, I felt the ground start moving and the house starting to shake, the rumbling, the dust coming off the walls, the shaking of the lampshades, swaying of the room. It was all there, and it was so vivid. It was like yesterday. And my grandmother said to me, Rich, get out of the house and go outside where it's safe. Get out of the house and go outside where it's safe. That, in a nutshell, is the gospel. Get out of the house that falls down and run to solid ground where it's safe. And that house and that solid ground is Jesus. If people are to flee from that which is not safe to that which is safe, they have to know where to find that safety. And this is where Haggai comes in to tell us what to do in these times of COVID. Haggai gives us a roadmap on how to cooperate with God's end-time prophetic purposes. So if you have your Bibles with you there as you're listening to me, turn towards the end of the Old Testament. Haggai is the second shortest book in the Old Testament. So as you're flipping through, you could easily just miss it. So quick pop question, what is the shortest, smallest book in the Bible? I see that hand. You got it right. It's Obadiah. Obadiah only has one chapter, which I preached through several weeks back. Now, in this short book that's given to us by Haggai, there are four prophecies contained in two chapters. And here's a unique thing about these four prophecies. They were given in only a four-month period on August 29th, October 17th, and then two on December 18th. So Haggai's prophetic ministry was one of the shortest reigns. It also tells us that we don't have to have a long ministry to be very, very impactful. The year in which he prophesied is really important for us because the year was 520 B.C. 
B.C., of course, refers to before Christ. So 520 years before Christ was when Haggai prophesied this, and the Jewish people had come back from Babylon 50 years prior, 50 years after being deported to Babylon. So again, let's just refer to the charts that we've used in the past. This gives us a quick overview of how the Old Testament minor prophets fall. We've now preached through those first nine uh, prophetic books, and the red check mark uh, represents where we are this morning. The line down the middle is the key division, where we are preaching now in the time when the exile has already happened, and the people of God, the Jewish people, are coming back from exile to their homeland once again. And so when we refer to the post-exile prophets, there's three of them, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So this morning, we are preaching out of Haggai. This is the, of course, big chart that we've shown many of you. Again, you see the, the red line on the right side. The last three minor prophets are prophesying after this exile has taken place. So these four prophecies is going to give the structure to my message this morning. And we're going to actually start with the last prophecy or the fourth prophecy, and then we're going to circle back to the beginning. We just read in Hebrews chapter 12 that God was going to shake the heavens and the earth. Where did Paul get this phrase? Well, it turns out it comes from Haggai's fourth prophecy. So in chapter 2, verses 6 and 21, the Lord said through Haggai, once more in a while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea, and also the dry land. Then later on in verses 21 and 22, he says, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. There is that phrase once again. Goes on to say, I'll overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of kingdoms of nations, and I will overthrow the chariots and the riders and the horses, and their riders will go down, every one by the sword of another. So this is a very strong word, but it was initially prophesied 600 years prior to Paul using this in the book of Hebrews. What this tells us is that we should not be surprised at global events like COVID when they appear on the scene because God told us the future back then that there would come a shaking to the heavens and the earth. But God's purpose is not to shake things up just for the sake of shaking things up. Rather, it's to shake us out of our temporal ways and point us to an eternal kingdom in an unshakable kingdom, which is why we have the three prophecies before this that's given by Haggai. And it tells us how to build an unshakable kingdom. So in the first prophecy, it's given to us in chapter one, and Haggai tells the people to rise up and build the house of God. He says to them, consider your ways, rebuild the temple. So the setting is the people had been repatriated back to their homeland, but they didn't know what to do. They had started the process of rebuilding the temple 16 years earlier, but they were met with great opposition. And as a result, they became despondent and passive, listless, and focused on themselves. They paid more attention to their own homes than God's house. Chapter 1, verse 4, Haggai says to them, Why are you just inside your paneled houses? Why are you hunkered down and not thinking about the larger and more important things in life? Why is it that you're just going and doing your grocery shopping and going to these different things? No, refocus yourselves. 
The people of God were spiritually adrift. So God sent Haggai to say, basically, wake up. Let's get to work. Rouse yourself. It's time to rearrange your priorities. Shake off that indifference. We need to rebuild the temple. So the task of building the unshakable kingdom begins with this first prophecy, which is a point of motivation. If people are to have an alternative to their world that falls apart, we, as a faith-based community, need to first make sure that our tent is up and ready for people to come when perilous times hit. The application for us is clear. Because as he's shaking, come to the nations, we need to rise and shine as a local church in deed and in message. We need to build the house of God, serve one another, care for one another, have each other's backs, be in community, minister to one another, take care of one another so that people know there's a family of God waiting for them. We're to model the unshakable kingdom that withstands all shakings. We are the pillar of truth with the glorious gospel of salvation. We are the city set on a hill in the light of the world. But none of that can be realized if we are lukewarm about church. So Haggai's first, prof- first prophecy exhorts us to commit afresh to our local churches and not to decommit to our local churches. This is not the time to just check out and say, nope, I'm going to do my own thing. This is not the time to get dull or cool or cool off about Jesus. This is the time to heat up. Hence this first prophetic word, consider your ways and rebuild the temple. So Haggai gave him this strong word, and how did the people respond? If you go on in chapter 1, you see that the scripture describes the scene. Verse 12, Zerubbabel, who was the leader, and Joshua, who was the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. The people showed reverence for the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. So Haggai must have been greatly encouraged. The people were stirred and ready to go. This wasn't a one-year-long process. Within a matter of a couple weeks, the people readied themselves and reported for duty. That was on August 29th. Six weeks later, prophecy number two, on October 17th, Haggai gives them another fresh word. Now, as a good leader, he knew part of how to excite the people is to give them a vision of what the future looks like. And so here's what he says in chapter two, verse three. Who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? So Haggai is trying to stir their memory. Those that had seen the temple 66 years previous before it was destroyed, he's saying, do you remember how beautiful and splendid the temple was? Now, of course, many were too young to have seen it or remembered it. Some may not have even been born yet. At this point, when Haggai had given this word, he himself was around 75 years old and he would have remembered the temple as a young boy. So he's, he's, he's basically saying to all these people that are gathered, if you look at our rebuilding process, this rubble sure seems pitiful compared to what it was. But here's what God says. 
Then he goes on to say in verse 9, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So he's giving them great encouragement. Not only is this temple going to be rebuilt, but it's going to be rebuilt to an even greater splendor and majesty. This surely would have excited the people. Let's say we're 60 years down the road. We come back to our church here at 612 Columbia, only to find that this building is really run down, dilapidated. And then a prophetic word comes to us and says, fear not. You remember how it was 60 years previous? It's going to be even greater than that. That would be exciting. That would thrill our hearts. That's what Haggai was saying to the people then. So this is great end time encourage for us. The church of Jesus Christ is going to shine like never before. You might feel discouraged about the church. You might think that the church is anemic and frail and powerless. But Haggai says in the second prophecy that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. In covenantal terms, this has already been fulfilled. The first house was Israel. The second house is the church. And without a doubt, the people of God are more glorious in the new covenant than the people in the old covenant. No offense to my Jewish brothers and sisters. But in ongoing sense, God is saying the end time church is going to be more glorious than ever before. The bride is being perfected. Our glory will only increase from glory to glory. That's you and me. That's our local church right here and everywhere in the earth. This is the unshakable kingdom God is establishing in the midst of global shaking and trembling. Think of the best church that you've ever been in. Thank you for thinking of five stones. I appreciate that. Whatever wonderful picture you have of your favorite church, it's going to pale in comparison to what God is going to do. God is going to make us doubly glorious. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the whole reason of Pentecost. This is the whole reason why Jesus went to the cross. This is why he said to the disciples, it's better that I, could, that I go away so that I can pour my spirit on the entire church. This is a distributed strategy from God so that the spirit can live and breathe in the temple. And that temple is not a physical building. It's you and it's me. And God is going to do something in the end times that is so powerful and so glorious that we're going to be like the burning bush and people are going to turn aside and say, what is this that's going on? Why is this bush frail and dry, not being burned up? What is this miraculous thing that is happening? It's because the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. And so what that vision is meant to do is to stir up faith inside of us. We can look at all the surroundings. We can look at the waves and the, and the wind. And we can look at COVID and we say, man alive, what is going on? But we should not have that hunkered down mentality. Rather, we should be lifting up our eyes, reading these prophetic words, hearing from the Holy Spirit and says, our best days are yet to come because that's what the Spirit says. So our eyes are on the word of God and not on the circumstances. Why was it that Peter could step out of the boat and walk on the water? Not because he was some superhero, but because Jesus said, come. And on the basis of that word, he did something supernatural. So part of what God is helping to do for us in this COVID season is to fix our eyes on the sure word of God 
so that our faith grows, right? Faith comes by what? Hearing of the word. And so Haggai is preaching to the people of God and he's giving them the prophetic word. He is stirring up to say the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. Yes, we have spots and we have wrinkles and we're weak. But don't focus on our inability. Focus on God's ability. Now, it's really interesting how Haggai says the glory of the latter house will occur because he says something very practical. He says part of how God is going to bring this greater glory is through money of all things and lots of it. So it says here in verses 7 and 8, Chapter two, I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations and I will fill this house with glory. Let's read that once again. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations and I will fill which house? This house, our house with glory. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. That sounds kind of exciting, doesn't it? We're talking massive amounts of wealth coming into the church, coming into Five Stones, coming into the church on the corner, coming into other churches all across the lower mainland and in churches all across the world. And with that wealth and with that financial power, we will be able to create social nets for the poor. We'll be able to build hospitals and eradicate illiteracy. We can build power plants, build dams, print Bibles by the billions, establish seminaries and universities, start corporations that will employ thousands of people. We'll build opera houses. We'll build up culture. We'll help city infrastructure. We will fund tech startups and most of all, innovate and plant churches like never before so the nations can be one. How many of you ever said, if only I had a little extra dollar, if only I had this, I would do that. God wants to give us financial dominion, not for ourselves, but for the purpose of the kingdom. We talk about having dominion over our physical body, having health and divine health. We talk about having dominion over our emotions and over the oppression that comes on us. Those are all blessings that come from and flow from Calvary. But while we're on earth, God also wants to give us dominion in the financial realm. Remember the Egyptians when they were plundered by the people of God? Why did God give them money when there was no markets out in the desert? Why did God give them money when there's nothing to buy or sell when they're out in the desert? Because ultimately when they got to the promised land, God wanted to set them up as father to make sure that they were strong because they were his children. God wants to give us financial strength so that we can do things for the gospel that will actually take the world's breath away. The sky is the limit when God pours in untold wealth, as Haggai says here in this second prophecy. Here's the deal. There's a reason why this wealth transfer hasn't taken place. We don't have the character to handle this kind of money. We would buckle under its weight and temptation. We would be overtaken with greed and jealousy and self-interest. Do you know how many pastors have lost their ministry over money? Too many to count, unfortunately. That's why God has not released this storehouse of the gold and the silver, because we can't handle it. But when our hearts are properly set on God and we become immune to the lure and power of mammon, the storehouse of heaven will open up 
and we'll be able to do things on a global and international scale that's never been seen before. Why was the early church so dynamic and a foretaste of what we're just reading here in Habakkuk chapter two? Do you know that they had a social net that fed thousands and thousands of people? They didn't have to access the welfare system. They were self-financed because of this amazing giving. The glory of God was pouring into the church, not only through signs and wonders, the lame walking, the blind seeing, people being raised, but also because the bank accounts were overflowing with generosity. The people there gave their tithes and more. The tithe was just the start because the love for Jesus was not measured by 10%. It was measured by 100%. So the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. And part of that greater glory is God working something in us and breaking the chains of mammon over our finances. Now we're in a situation where a lot of people go, I... I'm just scraping for my last dollar. I can't even think about giving to the church. But the issue is not about the dollar. God does not care about your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We just read the gold and silver are his. It's already in the heavenly vault. He doesn't need your money. But what is it that he needs? He needs your heart. And our money represents our heart. Who did Jesus commend when he saw in the temple the little coin going into the treasury. It was the widow that gave everything. When she put that little coin into the box, that was her heart going into the box. That was her heart saying, I love you, Jehovah, with all my heart. I may not know where my next meal is going to come from, but it matters not because my love overwhelms my personal need. I'm not saying to be reckless, but I'm saying that God is wanting to do something in our hearts in these last days with regard to full on, full in for Jesus. And that manifests in the realm of money and our faith towards God. For fun, based on this verse, I predict there'll come a time when there will be more billionaires in the church than billionaires outside the church. It's just gonna happen. Now is this so we can brag and talk about how wealthy we are? No, it's so that we can build up the house of God and glorify Jesus in a breathtaking way. And people will want, will want to come to a church that's completely surrendered to God. So Haggai is stirring up the people, got them motivated, here's the vision, and then we have his third prophecy, which comes a few weeks later. After this prophecy was spoken October 17th and the people were ready to go, two months later, this third prophecy comes on December 18th. Now, this passage between verses 10 and 19 is quite intricate and it's quite nuanced. It actually is a sermon in and of itself, so I'm not going to break it down and go into it, except to give you the key thought that is coming through this prophecy. And it's the idea that the worker must be equal to the work. The worker must be equal to the work. Haggai is saying, listen, I know that you're enthused about rebuilding this temple, but there's a slight attitude adjustment that needs to go on. One Bible commentator put it this way, the people seem to have felt that working on the holy place made them holy. And then Haggai, through a question and answer session with the priest, shows the people that work on the temple did not make them holy, rather their sin contaminated the temple. 
In other words, the work can only be as good as the worker. The work does not make the worker holy. The worker makes the work holy. So just because we're doing spiritual things doesn't make us holy in the eyes of God. What's important to God, remember God said, I desire not sacrifice, but I desire mercy. You can sacrifice all this and appear very religious and pray super long prayers and look good in front of people, but I'm concerned about the heart. And so just because you're giving yourself to a good cause doesn't make that thing holy. The work doesn't make the worker holy. The worker makes the work holy. So in pursuit of building an unshakable kingdom, God wants to do a work in us before he does a work through us. This unshakable kingdom can only be as strong as you and me. If someone comes to you and, and says, oh man, I need prayer, I'm so stressed out, and you go, I'm so stressed out too, I don't know what to do, as opposed to, you know what, I have a source that helps me get calm, it's Jesus. If we don't have that kind of sureness and confidence, then how can we offer an unshakable kingdom to someone? Therefore, God has to do work in us before he does a work through us. God wants pure workers. And again, this is where COVID comes in. The signature symbol of COVID is social distancing and self-isolation or self-quarantine. But in an irony that only God could pull off, in fact... I feel that we are more connected than ever before to our family and neighbor. I read this little article in a, uh, a Jewish website, and this author penned this little article called It Takes a Virus. And here's what she wrote. It takes a virus to call and check on my mother every day. It takes a virus to appreciate stock shelves in the supermarket to download and learn how to use Zoom, to push my child on a swing in the middle of the day, to assess how I'm using my time, to play backgammon with my husband, to feel that regardless of race and religion, we are truly connected. It takes a virus to be at home with my family all week to tackle the worst closet in my house. It takes a virus to check in on a neighbor, to shop for a stranger, to respect and protect the elderly, to reflect on what I need to work on to improve my character, to know in my bones that God really does run the world. It takes a virus to spend more time learning about the Bible, to reach out to someone I haven't contacted in a long time. It takes a virus to finish a book, to cook something I've never made before, to take an early morning run for the first time in 25 years. It takes a virus to simplify our complicated lives and show us what's really important. Are you testing positive? I thought it was a great article talking about how in the midst of what's going on, actually we're getting more connected, not disconnected. And so through COVID, God is reintroducing kindness and thoughtfulness into the system. Instead of every, everyone running pell-mell here and there after our own agenda, we're actually coming together. Of course, as I've mentioned, there are the sickening acts of selfishness that we see when people hoard and exploit the situation for profit, but we're also seeing acts of kindness like never before. And kindness is a big word in the kingdom. God's kingdom is a kingdom of kindness. We must be the best kindness ambassadors around. 
Kindness is not just an act, it's an atmosphere. It's a culture. If you do something kind to someone and they go, man, what is it about you? Well, I'm a follower of the Lord. And where's your community? Oh, we've got this little church in downtown New West. Well, do you mind if I come? And they come. And they come into a place in which they're enveloped by kindness. Because that kindness is a culture. It's an environment. And kindness is a precursor to revival. Because Romans 2.4 says, The kindness of God leads men to repentance. So part of building the house is to build local churches into a kingdom of kindness, which is in a direct image of heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God wants us to do a work in us so that he can do a work through us in representing his unshakable kingdom. So to summarize, here's Haggai's COVID action plan. Step one, the shaking of heaven and earth has been decreed. COVID is an expression of that. The purpose of the shaking is to point people to the unshakable kingdom. Step two, God is building that unshakable kingdom through his people. So as Haggai prophesied, rise up and love your local church. Step three, the church is going to be more glorious than ever before. Not only through his spirit, not only through signs and wonders, not only through the Lord being manifested in the midst of us, but in a very practical way, God is going to use wealth to show forth God's glory, which is a call upon us to be generous. And step four, God is preparing us as workers so he can show us off. So we have a great work to do in the midst of COVID. The birth pangs are getting stronger. And our job is to build God's kingdom that is unshakable by loving and building up our local church. God acts globally and we act locally. That's how the whole world is reached for his glory. Father, we come before you. We thank you for just the life that's in these prophecies that Haggai prophesied. We thank you for the encouragement. We thank you for the insight. We thank you for how it stimulates us. And I pray, God, that the power of these words would land on us well and strongly. That it would be in our thoughts this week that we would continue to meditate and ponder how we can be your salt and light in the midst of very difficult times. This is an opportunity, God, for you to shine through us. Help us to discern and to put our hand to the practical little ways that we can be an unshakable kingdom to people who feel shaken. We thank you now, God, and we bless you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen.